Living Hope is a church striving to become a 21st century apostolic church. We are founded upon the belief that the Bible is the inspired, infallible Word of God. We believe in the Great Commission, and we are endeavoring to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with love, mercy, and truth. Listen in as we share the Word, and that, through Jesus Christ, hope is alive. Matthew chapter 5, amen, verses 13 through 14, probably a passage that you may not have known exactly where it was, but once I get started, you'll probably be able to quote it right along with me. Jesus speaking says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost his savor, how's it going to get it back? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men you are the light of the world a city that is set on a hill cannot be hid tell your neighbor i don't want to be good for nothing amen you could be seated in our reading from the book of matthew jesus has withdrawn away from the multitudes Bible says he's ascended into a high place. And here as he makes his way into this elevated setting, his disciples began to gather close to hear. And Jesus begins to deliver what is called still to this day the greatest sermon that has ever been preached. It is called the Sermon on the Mount. It begins with the Beatitudes and ends three chapters, 107 verses later, with admonition on choosing the right foundation on which to build our lives. Its contents include our communication with God, our relationship with men, and the basic standards of Christian living. Yet it is here in this 13th verse as Jesus moves from his introduction with the Beatitudes detailing what we should be like, he shares two metaphors describing what we should be about. Because after we get our attitudes right, we've got to get our actions right. Amen. I don't believe you can get one without the other. Amen. If you're a Christian who's got the actions down, but your attitude is wrong, you're just as out of order. But I know many that have learned how to get the right attitude, but they're not doing the right actions. And so Jesus covers first the attitude, and then he moves to the action. First, he says, you are the salt of the earth. And secondly, You are the light of the world. Each of these metaphors provide a clarion call for the church to act upon a flavorless and favorless world. It is imperative that as Christians we get our attitudes right. But right attitudes without right actions result in a correct posture but incorrect placement. I want to focus in on the 13th verse where Jesus tells those first representatives of the New Testament church. These were the 12 saved Judas that would transform the world with the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he says to them, you are the salt of the earth. Tell your neighbor, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? 
Amen. In other words, it's easier to keep your flavor. It's easier to keep the action than it is to get it back. Because if you ever lose the Savior, you're not going to get it back. If the church loses our Savior, if I, not Savior, but if we lose our Savior, there is no way that we can get it back. And so Jesus said, it is thenceforth, at the point that the church loses its savor, at the point that the salt loses its savor, he says, from that point forward, salt is good for nothing but to be cast out and walked on under the foot of men. Understand this passage of scripture is not Pastor Staten's viewpoint of what the church should be about. It's not the perspective of the United Pentecostal Church, the organization with which we are affiliated. It's not their stance on what the church should be about. It's not the position of a certain dogma or denomination, but these are the declarations of Jesus Christ. He says that church, when you lose your savor, you are good for nothing. That's not Pastor Staten's opinion, that's Jesus Christ's opinion. That when the church no longer has a savor to it that we have become good for nothing so what does that even mean what does it mean to lose one savor what does it look like how do we apply that to a church how do we know if we've lost our savor darby translation renders verse 13 this way it says you are the salt of the earth but if the salt have become insipid Wherefore shall it be salted, and it is thenceforth good for nothing? If the salt has become insipid, I want to focus on that word insipid for just a few minutes right now. Commentaries conclude that the salt that Jesus would have been speaking about, the salt from the Galilean region, was salt that was gathered from marshes and salt lakes of that region. They would wait until the summer when through the, the, the hot climate, those waters would begin to evaporate and they would leave by upon the banks of those marshes and those lakes. The salty residue would be remaining and they would come and they would gather up that salt. But what they learned is if they left that salty residue exposed too long in the elements, it would lose its flavor and become insipid and from that point forward had no use but to be thrown out and providing traction under the feet of men. And so Jesus was speaking of something that was left in the elements for too long. We would find that a quick study of the word insipid would reveal that first and foremost, the first definition. If you look in the dictionary right now, I did the work for you, but you can fact check me later if you like and look it up yourself. The first definition of the word insipid means it lacks a quality of distinction. It lacks distinctive qualities. Jesus says that if the salt becomes insipid, if the church ever loses the qualities that make it different than the world, if the church ever loses its distinctive qualities, if the world can ever look at the church and not know if you're the church, then something is wrong and we've lost our ability and we have become good for nothing. I didn't expect anybody to run the aisles. But I'm here today to tell this church we cannot afford to buy into the world. We cannot afford to become worldly in this last day. (laughs) 
salt. He's saying when the salt loses its savor, it becomes like everything else around it. But the one reason that I've got a salt shaker on my dining room table is home is because I know everything tastes better when you put salt on it. Amen. That you, What I found is you cannot change what you have become like. If you take that meal and you sprinkle salt on it and it doesn't taste different than it did before, throw the salt out because it's good for nothing. And to the church, I would say today, we cannot change what we are busy trying to become like. Several years ago, one of my daughters had a field trip to um, over in Sauterley, I think the, the Elms Beach, I think it's called back there somewhere. Anyway, we went out on these canoes and before we went out, they gave us some instruction about what to do if there's somebody that falls out of the boat. And I had a feeling she was talking about me because usually I'm the guy that whoever they're talking about, it ends up being me. But anyway, they were saying that if somebody falls out of the boat, there are specific instructions on what you do for a drowning victim. And she said that the, the, the tendency is most people want to go over to where that individual is and they want to get in the water with them and they want to try, they dive out of the boat in an attempt to help that person. And she said 99% of the time what happens is both people end up drowning. She says, what you got to do is stay in the boat. And then you got to row over to where they're at and extend that life-saving entity, that oar that's in your hand. And then you don't go down to where they're at. You bring them into where you're at. And then both of you, are, it's not the time for the church to stop being the church. It's not time to be worldly. It's not time to be carnal. I want to tell you what we're going to end up with is a lost world and a lost church. what happens when we become insipid we get out of the boat and in the water we want to get down in the water with them well if I can become worldly I'll just go to the club and do what they do and I'll save them that way and what ends up happening is you both end up lost amen it's not time to be like the world it's time to be more like Jesus but love the world that is lost if Salt has lost its savor. If the church has lost its distinctive quality, it is good for nothing. I know it's 2020 and holiness is a cuss word. For, to stand up and declare that you're a holiness church is viewed negatively. And there's no way they say that you can love holiness and love people. To say that you are pursuing after holiness is automatically interpreted as Phariseeism. Even though the inspired word of God says in Hebrews that we are to follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Modern religion tells us if you live like the devil, if you're worldly, no big deal, there's grace for you. But if you strive to live pleasing unto God, they label that as legalism. I don't understand how living worldly is okay, but living godly is forbidden. We cannot afford to lose our distinctive qualities. You laughing at their perverted jokes isn't saving them. But if the salt has 
lost its savor. If the salt loses its distinctive quality, as Jesus said, it is good for nothing. I want to remind us on this Sunday morning uh, that a church that has become more worldly than godly is good for nothing. A church that is more secular than it is sanctified is good for nothing. A church that is more worried about fitting in than it is standing out is good for nothing. A church that feels like a club, sounds like a go-go, and acts like a social club is good for nothing. When they walk into church, they need to know they walked into church. When they walk into church, they need to feel something they can't find anywhere else. When they walk into church, they need to feel the Holy Ghost and fire. Somebody clap your hands right now. We're not losing our distinctive quality. We will not be a good-for-nothing church. The church of the living God was not blood-bought to be good-for-nothing. He didn't shed blood so one day he could look at you and say you're good for nothing. He didn't bear stripes so one day he could look at his church and say you're so much like the world. I wasted my blood. I wasted my stripes on a church that has become good for nothing. In the book of Genesis, we are provided a vibrant illustration of what it looks like to be insipid. An individual one that has lost his savor. He has deserted his distinctive qualities. The 13th chapter of Genesis, the herdsmen of Abraham and his nephew Lot have entered into conflict and quarrel over grazing grounds for their livestock. The Bible says that between the two of them, their substance has become so great that the land is not able to bear them. And so Abraham, ever the peacemaker, comes to Lot and pleads with him, let there be no strife between me and thee, nor between my herdsmen and your herdsmen. He says, the answer, Lot, is clear. We've got to go our separate ways. You go your way and I'll go my way because around us there's plenty of land for your herds and for mine, but we've got to go two different directions. Abraham offers to his nephew Lot, he says, I'm going to give you first choice. You go and look out over the land and you choose which land you will dwell in. And whatever you don't choose, I will take what's left over. He says, if you choose to dwell to the left, then I will take my herdsmen to the right. And if you choose to dwell to the right, then I will take my herds to the left. In verse number 10, we find that Lot steps to the plateau, the precipice of this mountain that they're standing on and it looks out over the plains of the Jordan and Lot looks and quickly he is taken by the lush green grasses of the plains of the Jordan and without hesitation Lot says I will take the green grass of the Jordan and from that point forward it takes only one verse for Lot to turn his tents towards Sodom and Gomorrah in spite of the Bible in the same breath telling us us, that Lot chooses Sodom, the Bible tells us uh, that these were lands that were exceedingly wicked. One verse for Lot to fall in love with Sodom. One chapter later, no longer is 
Lot simply turning his tents towards Sodom. But chapter 14, we find that now Lot is living in Sodom. We find the digression, the downfall of the life of Lot are not very hard to see. It's very evident and very apparent. He goes from looking towards Sodom to living towards Sodom to living in Sodom until finally he starts living like Sodom. It's the downward spiral of Lot that's alive and well in the church today. I watch as good saints begin to look toward the world and then they start to live toward the world and before you know it they're living in the world and before it's all said and done they're living like the world you've lost your flavor when you, when you no longer love holiness I know I came to preach vision, but I'm reaching for somebody's soul today. It's not too long. It's not too late to turn around and leave Sodom. It's not too late to leave worldliness. Five chapters pass. Lot living in and loving the wickedness of Sodom and Gomorrah. Commentaries as well as a careful study of the Passages surrounding it lead us to understand that Lot and his family have lived in Sodom for approximately 20 years. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 7 sheds light on the living conditions of Lot and his family during their dwelling in Sodom when it says, From day to day, Sodom and the wickedness of Sodom vexed his soul with their filthy conversation. Lot had a righteous soul, but daily living among the wickedness his righteousness becomes vexed, begins to wear away the process of becoming insipid. You see, Lot had become too much like the world. Some of you right now, the preaching, even as I'm preaching, you think I'm crazy. You think I've lost my mind. Why? Because you've become so worldly that righteous preaching vexes your soul. When Do you remember when worldliness used to vex your righteous soul? When you'd hear that song on the radio and you'd say, i got to turn that off. It doesn't feel right with my spirit. But now a righteous preacher stands in the pulpit and you turn me off because it doesn't jive with your wicked spirit. You ought to be saying, preacher, preach me out of Sodom. Don't let my family die in Gomorrah. Stop being comfortable with worldliness and get a hold of God. God had become too much like the world around him. He had lost his savor. The perversion of Sodom is reflected. Don't take my word for it. I'm going to draw the map for you in the, in the book of Genesis, chapter number 19. We find the perversion of Sodom is now apparent in the life of Lot as we read these scriptures together. The Bible tells us that God sends messengers, angels, if you would, to come to Sodom and Gomorrah with news of the destruction that is about to come on the streets of that city. The Bible says, as the angels walk with Lot, the men of the city, the men of Sodom and Gomorrah call out to Lot and they say, hey Lot, who is the fresh meat with you? Some of y'all like to get G-rated on preaching. Don't get G-rated on me now. 
You ain't been G-rated all week long. Help me preach a little bit. Lot, who's the fresh meat? Who are these men walking with you? Bring them out of your house and let us have them so that we can do what we want with them. Let us have them so that we can be intimate with these men. Can you imagine the perversion of a people that desire the very messengers of God so that they can involve them in fornication and the perversion of this world? Can't even imagine it. And we're taken back by it. How? How could these men be so vile? How could they be so corrupt? How could they be so perverse and filled with lust? And while I agree with you that the words of these men are indeed perverse, I'm even more taken back by Lot's response to these men. I'm, I, yes, I'm, I don't understand how you can ask a man to send men out into the streets so you can do with them what you want, but I can't as a father. I can't as a man of God. I can't understand how Lot can look at them and say, you know what, why don't you take my two virgin daughters and do with them whatever you want. Shake our fingers at Sodom and Gomorrah all we want to, but if you can't see that Lot has become just like the city he's living in, he has become insipid. He thinks nothing of offering his daughters that have saved themselves for a perverse group of men gathered on the doorstep of his house. Well, he was just bartering. He was just, it was just a bluff. He didn't really mean it. Well, then let's go to the end of the chapter. If that doesn't effectively convince you, consider that by the end of the chapter, and I'm going to try to keep it as concise and stay away from the gruesome details, but by the end of the chapter, Lot's own daughters get their father intoxicated. And the Bible says that both of Lot's daughters become pregnant and bear children by their own father. You see what happened? Lot and his family became just like the city they were living in. They abandoned righteousness and holiness, and they married up to worldliness and carnality. And as the angels warn Lot that God is about to judge these perverse cities, destruction is soon to fall. The Bible says, and I think this is maybe the most telling verse, passage of the whole story, that Lot turns to those around him and he says to his families, flee to the mountains because judgment is coming. But the Bible says Lot himself lingered. He hesitated. He was so in love with worldliness and carnality that even as he preached to others, he lingered in a place of destruction. And the Bible says it was the mercy of the Lord that caused the angels to grab Lot and carry him out of Sodom. Don't tell me this isn't active in the church today. I can get up here and preach blessing. I can get up here and preach prosperity. I can get up here and tell you how God wants to bless you. And you're going to amen me and you're going to get behind me. But as soon as I start preaching on distinctive qualities, uh, there is a holy hush that comes upon the church. Uh, but I'm here today to tell you, church, uh, we cannot lose our distinctive qualities. We cannot help a world that we have become like.
God causes angels to reach down and snatch Lot out of judgment. I would say today I can bear witness with Lot that God has been merciful to me. And there were times I lingered where I shouldn't have been. But thank God for his mercy that he snatched me out of judgment. Somebody ought to be praising him right now. God saved me from things I didn't even want to be saved from. I'm the only person. Is there anybody here today that God delivered you from something that you didn't even want to be delivered from? What a merciful God. What a merciful God we serve. He is still rich in mercy. He is here today pleading with someone, leave Sodom. I don't want to lose my savor. I don't want to lose my distinctive qualities. Brother Jones, I don't want to become insipid. I don't want to fit in with this world. However, this failure to maintain distinction is only one side of the coin concerning the definition and the process of becoming insipid. For Western's dictionary doesn't end with defining insipid as only the quality of distinction, but continues on with further explanation of what good-for-nothing salt looks like when it says that this insipid salt, this insipid characteristic means that it is without stimulating qualities. In other words, that salt no longer has the ability to impact things around it. It's lost the ability to impact and change the condition of the environment that it is placed in. Perhaps you would deduce that the answer is well, pastor, if Sodom was so terrible, if Sodom was such a bad place, then perhaps the answer was Lot shouldn't have gone there. And pastor, if our world is such a terrible place, if it's so filled with iniquity, then shouldn't we all just close ourselves in and live in a little righteous bubble? Can I tell you the greatest failure of Lot was not that he lived in Sodom and Gomorrah. Greatest failure, church, is not that we live in a sinful world, a wicked world. And the answer today is not that the church that we need to just live as separatists in our little commune where we detach ourselves from a wicked world because that does not sound at all like the purpose of Jesus, the one that we are all supposedly striving to emulate his purpose because John 3.16 says this, that God so loved the wicked world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be getting together in our distinctive little holy huddles and our righteous shut-ins where we sing our songs that we all know and we say amen at the right time because we've learned how to do that. That does not sound very much aligned with the great commission that came forth from the very lips of Jesus when he looked at the church and said, Go ye into all the world and make the world like you. Make them disciples. 
this defensive illustration of a church that's just holding on to our distinctives. Oh, God, just help me to stay holy until you come back. Lord, keep the, the godless, wicked world outside of my home. Keep the godless world off of my family. Lord, we're just trying to hold on until you come. That doesn't sound much like the church that Jesus described to Simon Peter when he said, Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, some of you good apostolics, you, you good Pentecostals, you read that and you envision these big mean gates. They're encroaching upon this poor defensive church that's backed into a corner. But you've been watching too much Beauty and the Beast because gates don't walk and gates don't talk. Amen. It's not the church backed up in a corner. It's the church coming against the very throne room of hell. We're not in the defensive. It's not me and mine and no more. It's God. Give us every soul that we can reach. And the gates of hell will not prevail. And the gates of hell will not prevail. And the gates of hell... I don't care about the opioid and the epidemic. It will not prevail against the church. Pastor, did you hear about the opioid? Did you hear about the drug epidemic? I'm glad I go to a righteous church. I'm glad I go to a holy church where that stuff won't mess with me. Oh, no, 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 you got the picture all wrong. I want hell to be afraid of the church. I want that drug epidemic to be aware that there's a church that is coming for you, that there are people that are coming after you. We are not distinct so we can chill and be still. We are different for the sake of making a difference. I am not like my world so I can say I'm better than them. I don't not go where they go and do what they do so I can say I'm better than them. I do it because somebody's got to reach them. Somebody's got to love them. Somebody's got to save them. I wish this church right now would get a hold of what the Holy Ghost is saying. God is saying, I'm glad that you're different. Now make a difference. You're not different for the sake of being different. We are different for the sake of being change agents for a broken, hurting, lost world. 1 Peter 2 and 9, ye are chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar. Somebody say peculiar. That means a bunch of weirdos. I'm, that's what it means. Some of you are looking at me like I'm mis- No, look at what peculiar means. It means abnormal. Amen. God wants his church to be abnormal. He wants you to stand out in the crowd. He wants you to look different, act different, talk different, love different. And we can shout and sing, man. We get together at our apostolic conventions and we read that first part and it goes nuts and we never get to the last part because we love, man, we're distinct, we're different. 
Why? Why am I different? That you can show forth the praise of him who called. What's that saying? So that other people around you can see that God brought you out. And if he brought you out, he can bring them out. If he delivered you, he can deliver them. If he freed you, he can free them. But if you look like them, they'll never know. Well, pastor, I felt inspired to start a club ministry. The devil is a lie, and you know that's an excuse. Show forth. Be a testimony to somebody out there that if he delivered me, he can deliver you. Be peculiar. Stop stop trying to fit in, child of God. You know you feel weird anyhow. Stop trying to fit in. You belong separated. You belong to be peculiar. We can come together. We can celebrate holiness. We can high five. Bless God, we've got our conviction still. But if we aren't impacting our world, if we aren't shaking our city, Amen. We can say, Pastor, we are good for something because we still have some distinctives. Our platform looks different than other platforms. Our people look different than other people. We're not good for nothing. But if we're not shaking our world, we are still good for nothing. Let me declare that as long as I am pastor of this church, holiness will be preached from this pulpit. As long as I am pastor here, we will preach that the purpose of godly conviction is to lead us to repentance to produce change in our lives, not to be a cover-up for our sin, that we can still use grace as a license to sin. But listen, the pulpit and the platform can declare. I can, there's nothing anybody in this church can do to stop the distinctive declaratives that I have stated. Not, not one of you. You can vote. You can do all you want. But I have the authority to say this is what will be allowed on our platform and here's what will not be. And you can agree with it, disagree, it doesn't matter. That's my authority. The pulpit and the platform can declare that we will not lose our distinctive quality. This pulpit and this platform are declaring that. But it is the pew that must declare that we will not lose our stimulating quality. Just as you can't do anything to take away the distinctive, I can't do anything to make this church stimulating. You've got to make a decision that we will reach our world. We are not going to sit in our four walls and just be a peculiar bunch of oddballs that haven't bought into the values in the system of our world. No, we are going to impact our city. Come on, somebody, I'm not going to preach much longer. We, anybody interested in going to a good-for-nothing church? Anybody? Anybody all right with that? We're just going to go have good-for-nothing good good church at that good-for-nothing building with that good-for-nothing preacher. 
I'd rather sit home and watch my good-for-nothing football team get beat by other good-for-nothing football teams. Listen, church, distinctives are only part of the equation. We are positioned in this world by the Almighty God to stimulate our society, to impact our community, to change our world. They said of the early Christians, they said these are those that turned their world upside down. Old insipid lot looking at Sodom, living towards Sodom, dwelling in Sodom. And then living like Sodom. And when it came time for God to look for an intercessor, someone to fight for that city, someone that would plead for the salvation of the city, it would only make sense that Lot would be God's guy. Lot's the man for the job. His children have grown up. Brother Mitchell, they've grown up in Sodom. They played in Gomorrah Little League. They played football on, on Sodom High School football team. They graduated from Gomorrah High. His children were married in Sodom. If you need an intercessor, Lot is your guy. He knows the city. He knows how to pray for it. He's your guy. If anybody would have been the guy to have a burden, Lot would have been the guy. Lot, righteous Lot. But even though Lot was living in the city, his savor is gone. 20 years Lot has lived on Main Street in Sodom. 20 years he's lived in the unrighteous city of Sodom. And what a sad statement it is that 20 years later, with a righteous family living on the street of that city, not even 10 righteous can be found. What have you been doing all this time, Lot? What have you been doing? Oh, you've been too busy becoming like your world to save a city from destruction. You would think after 20 years there would at least be a Bible study. Maybe a storefront congregation with at least 15. After 20 years with a family living on the streets of a city, at least they would have led another family or two to righteousness. But no, nobody. There's not one Bible study that's been taught. There's no church. Not even 10 righteous. So when God says, who's going to fight for their city? God says, Lot, you're not my guy. Lot, if you were going to plead for your city, you would have done it by now. Feel the Holy Ghost right now. Lot, if you were going to intercede for the souls of your city, you would have already done it. Lot, if you were going to start pleading for ten righteous souls, you've been here for 20 years and you haven't won one soul. How in the world am I going to call on you when it's time to judge Sodom? Instead, the Lord sends messengers to Hebron where Abraham Shorobokotai
Right now, the Holy Ghost wants to speak in this service. There's somebody here right now that God has given you interpretation to the tongue that was just delivered. I prayed this morning in prayer that God would speak to this church this morning through tongues and interpretation. I need somebody right now to be sensitive that don't make it up, but the Spirit is trying to speak to this church in a way that you're going to know that God is speaking and it's not just a sermon of a man. Hallelujah. 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 See, so let's raise our hands right now. We're just going to wait another minute. Somebody, it's interpretation is going to come in a language we can understand. There have been several tongues that have been given. I believe they're all the same tongue. I believe it's all the same message. I need somebody right now to be sensitive to the Holy Ghost. It's been a while since we've operated in this. It's one of the distinctives of the apostolic church, tongues and interpretation. Somebody obey the Holy Ghost now and speak that interpretation. God's given it to you. Hallelujah. 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 Go ahead, speak that out. Let's stand right now and give God praise for that word in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Oh God, let the burden, Lord, for lost souls fall. 
upon this church right now. Lord, our city needs you. Oh God, our city needs a church that has not become like our world, Lord, that we have not lost, Lord, the qualities of stimulating and impacting our city. Come on, God is doing something right now. There's a burden being placed into the spirit of everyone that will receive it right now. Come on, our, there is an answer for our world. It is the church. Come on, let's go ahead and let God speak for a few minutes. God can do what a preacher cannot do. Come on, if you're here today, Lot, if you are here today and you've become like this world, I want you to know the Spirit of God is reaching for you. God is saying, come on, it's not too late. It's not too late. Get your savor back. Don't wait until you become insipid. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. God sees that Lot is not his man. You can remain standing. I'm finishing. We're going to pray together. So God sends messengers to Hebron where Abram is dwelling. Maps would let us know 63-hour journey from Sodom to Hebron, 63 hours away. God finds a man that will intercede because the man living there has become insipid. I've lost the quality and even perhaps the desire to change my city. And I believe the answer to what allowed Lot to become insipid, to lose his distinctive qualities and never impact one soul, I believe the Bible gives the answer for it. It's in Genesis 19. The perverted plea of the men to give to him the angels that are there so they could be intimate with them and 
Lot says, take my daughters, do with them what you want. And here's the response of the men. They say, the Amplified Version says it this way. They say to Lot, stand back. They said, you came here to live temporarily. And now you want to judge us. And I believe the, the foundational reason that Lot becomes insipid and becomes like them and never tries to reach them is because it was never his city. He never took ownership. He never took responsibility. He didn't ever see that it was his responsibility to find ten righteous in his city. And I would say to this church, we will never be motivated to find the righteous in this city. We will never be motivated to take the wicked and move them to being righteous until it becomes our city. So I'm asking us right now to cry for our city. I'm glad we've got our apostolic distinctives. I'm, I'm glad you look holy. I'm glad you got it. That's great. But there are people outside the walls of this church that if they die right now, they're going to a devil's hell for eternity. There are people right now that don't know that Jesus loves them and he can forgive them. And while we sit in here looking different than our world, do we really care? Have we lost our ability to impact our world? Would you right now barter for 10 souls? Would you ask God to spare this city? Lord, if you'll spare this city, I'll find 10 righteous. Lord, if you'll spare this city, I'll find that neighbor that I walk past every day. And not one time have I told him that you love him. Not one time have I tried to connect with them and bring them to church. Come on, church. I don't want God to have to go 63 miles away, to 63 hours away to find another church that will intercede for the lost souls of my city. Oh God, I will cry for the lost souls. Oh, Lord, when you come back to execute judgment, I'm going to do everything I can to make sure there's 10 righteous living in my neighborhood. I'm going to do everything I can to make sure there's 10 righteous living on the street that I live in. Oh, God, by your grace in 2020, let this church move 10 wicked toward righteousness. Oh, God, I pray that at the end of this year, when you come, oh, God, looking, you would find 20 more righteous than there were last year. Living hope. 
We are not going to be a good-for-nothing church. We are going to be a church that intercedes for the souls of our city. We're going to be a church that uses every resource we can use to reach one lost soul. Lord, in the name of Jesus, God, would you help us? If you will, God, we'll reach Fox Chase. If you help us, God, we'll reach the neighborhoods around us, Lord. Hallelujah. Come on, somebody, you don't have to go to Hebron to find an intercessor. There's one right here, God. I will wake up in the morning and I will cry for my city that, Lord, you would be able to find ten righteous when you come. I want you across this building to take somebody by the hand and I want you to agree with that individual we will not be a good for nothing church I will not be a good for nothing saint no I will not lose my distinctives but I will also not lose my ability to stimulate the world around me I will intercede for my neighbors I will intercede for my co-workers I will pray, God, if you open a door for me, I will go. I will teach that Bible study. I will reach that individual in my school. God is placing burdens in this house right now. If you're feeling a burden, please don't shut that off. It's like a faucet. You need to let that flow. Come on, some of you right now, God is getting a hold of you. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, start calling out the names of your neighbors. Start calling out the names of your co-workers. Start calling out the names. Oh God, when you come again, I pray that you will find them righteous. it one more time find somebody nearby you pray one right now I want you to pray God let that burden let that responsibility this is my city I want to feel the weight of that responsibility I'm not just here temporarily this is my city those are my neighbors this is my job those are my co-workers Fox Chase belongs to living hope
Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. So just take a couple of minutes right now and entreat the presence of the Lord. I wonder if somebody say, God, use me. Come on, Lord, if you're looking for an intercessor, I may not be as qualified as Abraham. I may not have the bloodline of Abraham. I may not have the qualifications of the father of Israel. But God, this is my city. I live here. And if you need somebody to intercede, I'll be the one. I'm asking this church right now, I want us to pray for those among us that the enemy has deceived into thinking that you can be worldly and it doesn't make a difference. The enemy has deceived you into thinking that you're you're doing your world a favor by becoming like them. God put you on that job. God put you in that home. Not so you could become like them, but so you could reach them. You need to make up in your mind today, I will not lose my distinctive quality. I am chosen. I am holy. I am peculiar. But I'm not just peculiar to be different. I'm peculiar to make a difference. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. If you feel that burden, I'm asking you one more time to raise your hands and pray with me. Lord, I don't want to be a part of a good-for-nothing church. I don't want to be led by a good-for-nothing pastor preaching good-for-nothing sermons. Lord, I want to be a part of a church that yes, we're different than our world. But God, we're not just coming together as a social club or a country club. But God, we're going to reach our city. We're going to impact our world. Lord, when you come back at the end of this year, when you come back to look at living hope, I pray let there be 50 righteous added to the church. Living hope, would you be willing to intercede with me for 50 righteous this year? That's where Abraham started. God, if you find 50, maybe 100. But, but I wonder right now, could we intercede for 50 righteous, oh God? Lord, if you help us, we're going to find 50 righteous in this city. We're going to find 50 that we can teach Bible studies to and we can pray with them and we can love them. on this is my city say it with me this is my city come on I want you to say it this is my city all of you that think it's better if you move away from here say it with me this is my city alright there's about 10% of you open your mouth with me and say it this is my city living hope this is our city it's our responsibility I want you to look somebody in the eye and I want you to say it with some fortitude. That means some guts, some passion. This is my city. Josh, this is my city. Above my call to pastor this church is my call to be responsible to reach this city. 
Sometimes it is easy to start on your destination without really knowing the exact path it takes to get there. To get to our destination, we need to follow the one who knows our predestined path. So be sure to subscribe and watch us on Facebook Live every Sunday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. And also visit us at www.livinghopemd.com. I'm gonna wait on you, Jesus. I'm gonna wait on you.